Hello and welcome to the Mandalorian part. And today with me is new regular host, the Devo Brown to my godfather. It's Scott <laughs> McLeod. Hello, Hello, Scott. Hello, Carl. I'm, I'm very happy to be part of the this Mandalorian series. I was very excited when I first saw uh, that you and Rita started this because it helped remind me how good season one of the Mandalorian is, or just Mandalorian in general, because I think season two is so firmly planted in my mind through, through, through its recency. But, you know, it was good to get back to watch this episode and remind myself just that, uh, how great Mandalorian is as a series. Yeah, it really is good. Uh, I was blown away by season two and going back to watch season one for this part, yeah, as you say, it reminded me how good uh, most of the episodes really were for that as well. Mm-hmm. Like season two, like for the nerd in me, like because season two is filled with so many like references to things like the cartoon uh, Rebel series and the Clone Wars, because Dave Filoni was heavily involved in them, and he's involved in this. And like I spent like a lot of my like like end of twenty twenty, start of twenty twenty one, like with nothing to do, so I basically watched. Uh, those series on Netflix and so getting the little like references to the Mandalorian I know I'm jumping ahead but I think that's just the kind of fan I've noticed you and Reese are more of that we like it we'll just talk about it, whereas I'm that kind of guy who has I have quite a few notes in front of me he's like I like analyzing this and then there's that thing here yeah um, I'm more of a, a bullet point person mm-hmm. but yeah I do, I do like to have a, a few pointers and not extensive notes, but things were written down to help me. Yeah, uh, the same. I never watched the the Clone Wars and that because uh, obviously I, I'm in my forties, so I felt you know I'm not a bit old to be watching cartoons and that. But because uh, of all the callbacks and people excitedly saying, "Oh, this happened and that happened from the Clone Wars," with like you say, lockdown, nothing to do, got Disney Plus. Why not go through them <laughs> so I can get myself up to speed with what the dark saber is and, and other things that'll uh, be cropping up uh, in due course? Yeah, I think what's good about the Mandalorian, like now also we can watch it anytime we want uh, for this show and as many episodes as you want, but when it was coming out, uh, this really helped me get back into watching things weekly again. Which is that I've now gone into with one division and now uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, because Disney Plus has been really good at that with like the weekly TV. Because I remember Disney Plus took a while to get over to the UK from the US. So I could have watched Mandalorian in, by illegal means, but I didn't. I'm a good boy. And so when it finally came over to the US, the UK, I thought, okay, well, we'll probably just put all of Mandalorian up for the UK audience. No, we're just getting the first two episodes and then making you wait like we the Americans wait on a weekly basis. And so it was good that I got into that because it helped me like get in be anticipating the next episode and things like that because uh, I don't have that in a long time I'm so used to nowadays like everyone else just to stream stuff like in bulk yeah uh, it's like with Netflix a lot of their stuff they, they load up in one go and as soon as the one episode's finishing the next one's loading up to start and you think well it started now so I may as well sit here and watch another and, and then another uh, and yeah, you sort of lose your discipline. Uh, I'd just like to say, no reads this week. Hopefully, he'll be back for episode five. I think um, I think I sent him to a galaxy far, far away in his look for a, <laughs> a, a West Bromwich Albion win. So uh... <laughs> I, I, I laugh. I, I pretend I understand that. 
I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you do, really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to to get into this episode, a quick quick breakdown of of what occurs before we really get into it properly. Um, the Mandalorian and uh, the child who we'll say Grogu, even though. We don't really know his name yet until we get onto episode two, but we're we're assuming everybody who listens to this has has uh, watched all the episodes available yeah. so far. Um, I didn't mean, mean to ask because you guys kind of been calling him the child up until like, this point. I didn't know if we were just going to keep calling him the child or if we're going to call him mostly Grogu. But you know, part of me wishes we didn't actually. We still didn't know his name. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. If we'd have done it as. Uh, as the show was released, obviously we wouldn't have been able to do to call him Grogu, but we 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 may as well because it helps mm-hmm. to differ. Can't say the word I want to say. Helps to establish <laughs> what characters what while while we're talking. Means mm-hmm. there's no pictures to go to go by. So yeah, they they land on a a nice little planet, or what they think's a nice little planet where they hope where Mando hopes he can lay low for a a few weeks. Um, he meets um, former shock trooper Cara June, who we'll get back to in a, <laughs> a second or two. <laughs> uh, while he's there, he's approached by some villagers who are having trouble with raiders um, to help them out. Uh, Manda does sort of reluctantly at first, and then they realise they're up against. Um, an armoured walker, an ATST, which makes things a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eventually uh, help train the villagers, and um, with their help and their tactics, they uh, eventually take out the um, the raiders. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's a little bit more to the episode than that, which we'll get into now. But overall, what, what did you think of this episode, Scott? Yeah, I was happy uh, to for this episode to kind of jump onto. We talked about it before we recorded where like the first three episodes are all very contained where it's all Mando going to get this, the child or Grogu uh, bring him back and then at the end of the episode he obviously skates with Grogu because he's part of him even though he's just a job to him there's a lot of part of him like he can't like bear to think what the, these guys he's left him with will do to him and so now they're trying to lay low but the next couple of episodes you can't see Mando being kind of this mercenary for a couple of weeks of trying to lay low, go about his day while still protecting the kids. So these next couple of episodes are very much kind of self-contained in their own way up until we get to like the two-part kind of finale of the season. Uh, I know this episode's called Sanctuary, this episode, but I thought, like, given that the next episode's called uh, Gunslinger, I thought Gunslinger would have been more fitting for this episode because a lot of people in the past have compared Star Wars to kind of a, a Western but set in space and... Like Mando's story, this does sound like a Western kind of gunslinger. He comes into a small town where the locals are having trouble and he helps clear it up for them and help the people fend for themselves. So it does. if you're a fan of Westerns, this kind of plot would probably be quite familiar to you. Yeah, it, it has a, Star Wars has always had a sort of Western feel, but The Mandalorian um, in particular does sort of feel very Western in space, doesn't it? And it really works. And um, yeah, but sort of near the start of the episode we are introduced to who is is an important character to the the canon uh of the mandalorian especially for the following two seasons so um we can't ignore the character uh we have me and reese have touched on the controversy of gina carino um in a previous pod so we're gonna we're gonna leave it there we we know what she said was 
was out of order and uh, she's been duly sacked from the show. But as I say, we, we can't ignore the character because it plays such a vital uh, role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she was, like, there's quite a few different shows. I think one of them, the one about the New Republic, she was maybe part of it. But I think given the content of that show, she's not as big a part of it as a lot of people think. So I think they can probably manage without her going forward. But yeah, for these couple of seasons, she does play a strong, like, recurring character. And I think she does play a good role in this episode. But it's good that you guys kind of acknowledged it. And yeah, she said she used to be a shock to her, basically rounding up the last of the Imperials when the New Republic was taken over. But then it was, she says in the episode that like, it became too much about peacekeeping and not there's a lot of action. So she basically she just left and now she just hides out. And she does have a good fight scene with Mando because she assumes, like, she sees a Mandalorian that knows that he's a member of the guild and assumes that somebody's put a contract on that he's probably there to collect on. Yeah, I, I like the fact they've got a, a strong female character like this in the show. Um, Gina Carino, she was... Uh, a mixed martial artist. I think she's a bit of cage fighting. So, so she, you know, she looks, she looks like she's made for the role. She's not like some skinny supermodel like they normally cast in Hollywood, <laughs> and you're expected to suspend your disbelief that she's capable of beating men twice her size up. And I think also introducing her is like she worked with the Republic. She fought alongside and against like rounding up last of like the Empire and the Imperials. Mm. So. It makes sense that she would be able to hold her own with Mando, and I do like the way that their fight comes in. They both got their guns on each other, and then just the, the child's just there with his little like bowl of soup that he's got, and they just kind of look at each other like, "Okay, let's let's wrap the fight in front of the little guy." And <laughs> I did enjoy that. And yeah, she was also in like Deadpool, so that's the other main like thing in her her filmography, as you might call it, that, that I don't know for because she. She wasn't like the most well-known actress outside of this and potentially Deadpool. Yeah, and she, she's she's starting a, a vehicle called Haywire as well. That's uh, the only other sort of thing I'm aware of her from. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've heard heard about Haywire. I think it was like basically your generic, basically espionage state film. Somebody is a good guy. They've been turned on, and now they can't trust anybody. You know, they've seen it a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a well done movie, but yeah, it uh, wasn't anything original or anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, back on back on track. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're they're apo- approached by the, the vi- well, Mando's approached by the villagers to to help him with the raiders. He's not too interested at first, but uh, they manage to convince him, don't they? Eventually. Yeah, because at first he was going to leave because, like, Curden basically says to him, like, I was here first, you know, and like, he doesn't want to bring any unnecessary attention on ourselves. And so like, he realises the village is kind of in the middle of nowhere, so both of them can kind of easily hide out and not get anywhere in each other's way. Uh, Sorgan, I believe, is the name of the, the planet that they're on, uh, and these raiders are called Clitunian raiders. Like, uh, the name of the raiders, I wrote it down, uh, when I looked it up, I didn't even consider how I was going to pronounce it. So that's the best pronunciation <laughs> I can come up with. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I can't help you there either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should mention also a bit um, the kind of like the people behind Mandalorian. You know, we mentioned, I mentioned Dave Lowe, You know, John Favreau obviously is a big part of it as well. This episode in particular was directed by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, you know her from. Uh, the Jurassic World films. She was in that. She was the main female in that those films. 
Uh, she also directs one of my favourite episodes of season two, but I won't get too far ahead of myself. What's also ironic is that our dad, Ron Howard, also directed a Star Wars film, uh, Solo, which is my least favourite Star Wars film of all time. Yeah, he was sort of brought on to that um, late in the day, though, whether it whether it had turned out differently if he'd been on the project from um, from the beginning. Yeah. But, Ron uh, Howard's been around for like a while. I think he was a child. I think he was in Happy Days for yes, a while. Yeah. And he's also directed quite a lot. Some stuff like also had Oscar nominated things. But I hear Ron Howard, and I think he's the guy that directed The Grinch film with Jim Yeah, he's a, he's a renowned director. I think he he directed Apollo Thirteen and uh, Rush, the Formula One mm-hmm. film. So uh, Bryce is from good pe- directing pedigree, and um, she's been doing a great job as far as I'm concerned on The Mandalorian so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they've got a really good cast, like we recording cast of like directors that they have as part of the team. You know, you have Filoni, uh, John Favreau himself doesn't actually direct an episode till season two. Yeah, he does write most of them though, doesn't he? He's um, yeah, it's really um, shown. I mean, I've always thought he's a talented guy, John Favreau, but this has really put it out there. You know, he's been able to conceptualise this and write it and more or less put it together he's like he's like the head dude really when it when it comes to producing the mandalorian yeah i think he's the main writer on most of them i think he did help write off with this one but he kept himself out of the directing chair uh until like the second season even then he's only ever done one episode so maybe when we get season three he'll step into the directing chair a bit more but uh, but it's well worth going and looking at the behind the scenes programs for the Mandalorian they've got on Disney Plus if if people haven't already because you really do see the passion of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, they really do. They really are Star Wars fans and care about the project. They're not just there to make a book, which of course they are as well. But <laughs> yeah, I think also given like Disney owns them, they also own also Marvel. And John Favreau's got his track record with the Iron Man films and everything. I think they knew they was in like safe hands. I think he also did the, the live action Jungle Book. So obviously, a lot of thought was going into before they put in the project in like John Favreau's hands. Mm. It's amazing how they do like the like not like like the computer screen thing that goes sort of around the set and it's that they use nowadays as the green screen. I sort of forgot what they call it, but it's like a a, a wall and it's so so sort of high definition in that sometimes the actors and that forget that <laughs> that it ends at a screen mm-hmm. yeah the same thing reason i wanted to mention based out there is that she uh, made a note about one of the moments my favorite moments of the episode is like when obviously they train the villagers to uh they originally mando to tell the villagers they need to leave and he does it very bluntly which i, which I like obviously whereas Carradine tries to be more diplomatic about it and then they use it meet say after they plan to help the villagers like fight back, they go to like basically try and blow up the raiders where they're hiding just to lure the AT in so they can defend themselves. And the way the AT kind of rises up, you can see the red lights behind it and it rises through the trees. I remember thinking it's very much like something out of like Jurassic Park. And I think Bethel's had mentioned that, that they did make those similarities uh, like obvious because they wanted to did wait, we've seen this machine before but it's usually been operated, but we've never seen this as a threat in itself, so they purposely tried to make this ATSD like seem very menacing, and also they use like, some of the tactics they would use for, like, say, if like, the T-Rex was being revealed in a Jurassic Park film. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And 
yeah, in the films, those sort of things were always uh, taken out quite handily, really. So, yeah, it was nice to see what sort of a threat it, it really can be. And as you say, it was like some sort of Tyrannosaurus rex emerging from the woods when uh, you get the reveal of the, the walker. So it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I also like is that the, the child, like, he has a very limited role, you know, like, and Mando... Like he, he still cares about him enough that he was still willing to kind of leave him there, and like at the start of the episode, he kind of calls him a want for it. So like he <laughs> cares enough about him to not like see him get like experimented on, but he's still like part of him isn't fully like sold on it. Like he doesn't want to be that close to it. Yeah, he, he perhaps doesn't think his sort of life is the the kind of life uh, for the child. Um, and yeah, we sort of see sort of clips of uh, Grogu playing with the other children and looking like he's having the time of his life, which makes Mando think, well, perhaps I should uh, should leave him here. But Mando himself um, catches the eye of um, Amara. Is that, I don't know if you say that, a, a widow yeah. with a child on the planet. She she takes a shine, shine to Mando and there's a little uh, hint of romance Romance there, yeah. Uh, Omira is her, her name, and uh, Winter, W I N T A Winter, or it sounds like how somebody from London would say Winter. <laughs> I think <laughs> Winter is her, her daughter, and like she's like playing with the with the child. And at one point, Grogu tries to eat a frog, and then obviously spits it out. So you know he's always had a thing for frogs. So those people who got annoyed in season two. <laughs> like don't be, don't be so surprised. You weren't clearly weren't paying attention, but I, I do think it's like interesting decisions made about with her character because, like you said, I mentioned the Western comparisons. Like there would always be like when the outlaw comes in, he'd meet some woman in the town that he falls for and everything. But like, and you think, oh, like there's a love interest. Of course there is, and there are most like TV shows, but like nothing really comes of this thing with her and Mando because like he does consider staying, and Gardner even said like you should just settle down with her, stay here, like. Out of trouble, and he, you know, like he considers it, but then ultimately nothing comes yet. Which, as again, he realizes that he has to keep keep moving. Hmm. Yeah, it's a nice little touch, though, that you know the, the character can sort of have those sort of feelings, which mm-hmm. uh, which is like it, it humanizes him. And again, um, it's brought up when Amara asks him, um, "When was the last time you removed your helmet?" Mm-hmm. And he says yesterday. <laughs> he said, no, I mean in front of people. And he reveals he, he hasn't um, done that since he was a child. Mm-hmm. And like, he doesn't like show. He's he only said if I can't, I take off. I can't put it back on again. Like which makes me think like Jesus. The same rules like a lucha mask. Like you've lost your mask. You can't put it back on again. And he and I think we'll certainly learn also the people that he was raised by the like different traditions from like other Mandalorians and everything so it's not fully like the laws of like Mandalore that he has to keep the helm on at all times but just the way that he's been raised with these people that like found him like he just, he's just very strict and that you know this is the way and all that and you get that kind of tease like you don't see his face but he, he takes it off while looking out the window and eating his food and I found this out apparently Pedro Pascal does not appear in this episode at all except for his voice which was recorded like later, where where all the scenes you see a Mando on screen, that's all Pedro's like double wearing the suit. Oh, right. I didn't realise that. 
yeah, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't uh, find out. But I was just like finding really find anything interesting about like behind the scenes of the episodes, and I found this out. It's like the only episode he's not fully involved in, other than obviously providing his voice, which he also recorded in post. All ah, right. Was uh, was there any particular reason he wasn't involved in this one, to your knowledge, or? Uh, not that I can find. Obviously, maybe just there was a scheduling thing potentially, because you know he has become quite busy over the last couple of years. You know, he was in Game of Thrones and the the Kingsman sequel, and I think he's in the, that Wonder Woman sequel as well. So I think it's probably because he's quite busy nowadays. Now everybody kind of knows who he is. Yeah, yeah, he's in high demand. He's he's come a long way from. Um, one of his first appearances on TV, from what I can remember, was on an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer back in, uh, <laughs> I think, 1999. He, he played a, a very gawky teenager, so he's, uh, he's, he's filled out and, uh, and changed quite dramatically from that appearance. And, uh, it's, quite, it's, like, it's quite interesting the way that they play it off, because uh, the scenes between Mando and, like, the other actors like him and O'Meara or her and with Cardin, like obviously they're doing the scenes as does and also they so they know when to add his voice in the post and they do it like seamlessly. And so like you wouldn't have known like other unless you looked up like I did that that wasn't him under it because the actors don't like change their performance in any way. Yeah, it's really good, like you say. I, until you just brought it up now, I, I had no clue he was. He just did the voiceover work for the character in this episode, so it's a testament to his double that um, he did such a good job. Mm-hmm. Also, the, the storyline I mentioned on the, the clones. I'm pretty sure there was a storyline in the Clone Wars cartoon similar to this, and that the idea of teaching locals to fend for themselves because there was a, there was an episode where. Anakin, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka crash on a planet where they find this village who are apparently in debt to a bunch of space pirates and so they basically train the villagers in the episode to fend for them themselves which part of me think is either a coincidence or maybe there's some influence from, from Dave Filoni in this show. Yeah, I, I remember that episode because I say it's not that long ago, I I binge watched the uh, the Clone Wars and, and yeah, and it, it probably helps them more to train them in case another threat comes along than just mm-hmm. to save them and then and then bugger off. Yeah, because like you see these like uh, these radios also we didn't realise at first that they had the ATST, but you did see some of the story episodes kinda of shooting from out the trees that you didn't see. And you notice when they eventually managed to take out the the AT, the radios just bugger off because they realised that like the main reason they felt like they had the advantage over the villagers is that they had this weapon and now that's been taken away from them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, unfortunately, Mando is left to reevaluate his plans to leave Grogu on the planet because uh, an assassin comes looking for them. And it's a nice little bit of a, a setup. You see the assassin with a sniper rifle lining up, Mando completely oblivious, and you're thinking, shit, you know, how are they going to get out of this one? And as they do on these shows, you hear the shot, but. Fortunately, it's the assassin getting shot by uh, Cara Dune, who uh, obviously was more aware of what was going on at that point than Mando. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, he aims at Mando, then he aims at, at Grogu. And I'd, I hadn't heard a lot about like Baby Yoda before watching the, the show. I just heard all the memes of Baby Yoda and everything. Like, I didn't know how big a role he had in the show. So honestly, when I first watched it at the time, like, even though I was inside, I thought it wouldn't be surprised me if they tried, they actually legit had him like, kill off like this kid uh, and then that's Mando's story where he tries to avenge him or anything like that 
or there or, or also at the time I thought maybe he'll, he'll have him like actually go for him but had the woman so you know the, again the stereotypical you know finally falls for somebody and then they're killed in front of them kind of thing because you know Mando other than this episode never really shows any hint on having a, a love interest which is rare for most shows but yeah and he realizes obviously they've got the guy's got the tracker on him because obviously it's, I think we've seen in other episodes that quite a few people were given like the task of finding the child and you know, they realize that they're never going to stop coming for him, so he needs to like keep on moving and keep the kid with them. Yeah, they're, they're very keen to either get the child or, or assassinate it for whatever reason. Uh, some of those reasons start to come a little bit more clear in, in season two, so uh, we can touch on those when we get round to them. But, <clears throat> but yeah, he's... Uh, he realises he's always going to have to be on the move. But like you just said, I wasn't sure if he was going to feature in every episode, uh, Baby Yoda. So I was I was prepared for him to be left on that planet and to be forgotten about, to, to be honest, and, until the assassin showed up. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's all good. It sort of subverts your expectations at times, this programme, which is good. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, as I said, that he doesn't have a big role in this episode. He like kept in the with the other kids, and like they keep him away out of the the fighting when also the villagers are fighting back. Because what's interesting about this is I didn't realize even I saw that they like Yoda, but I didn't know if that meant automatically he was also going to be a force user. And so also in episode two, when he does use it, it's more of a surprise. And what's smart about this is obviously it takes a lot out of him, so he's not doing it in every episode. Because you know other like under other people, it would have been lazy just to think oh. Star Wars, we need to have some sort of force user. So, like, it was anybody else like at the helm, like you'd have Grogu somehow uses the force on the ATSD and basically help save the day, whatever. But they're, they're relying on like things out other than like people who use the force. And this episode only just like using Grogu like when needed to. Yeah, and also sort of by proxy, it gives you a little bit more of a eye opener to what. Uh, maybe Yoda himself was like as well. Clearly, he wasn't born wise and all knowing. Uh, when you look at what Grogu is like, so it obviously took some a lot of time for Yoda to get there as well. I would imagine. Yeah, because like Yoda, I think that lives for like nine hundred years, as he says in the episode six, mm. and grew with maybe fifty here. So obviously, there's a different aging process for his species. Yeah, definitely. He's very, you know, 50s, very, very young for uh, for a grow group. Perhaps, perhaps, I, perhaps I could become a, become a young, just so I could be young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of Grogu in all of us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much the episode in a nutshell. And anything else you, you want to add? Uh, not really, no. I think, like I said, Mando's just in the next couple of episodes, you know, he's trying to take find jobs while still being on the run in the next couple of episodes, so he's keeping Rogu with them and, like I said, keep on moving. So, the end of this episode, I, I like that they kind of roll you in the idea of like, it being kind of a nice, happy ending with Mando potentially sitting down and the child being safe, and then suddenly, well, you're like, nope, like, there's still like a lot of danger out there for him. And so, obviously, it sets up for the, for the plot in the next couple of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's, uh, it sort of all comes to a head in uh, this, the sort of season finale, really, as you'd expect. But then it, it also carries on through um, through season two. So it's uh, yeah, 
there's a, there's, there's a lot to this. It, it's very well thought out. Because, mm, like, also it's called Sanctuary, as I said, so it allows you into thinking maybe they found that Sanctuary for the child, but then mm. realized there's, like, there's nowhere kind of safe for them. Yeah, exactly. He's he's never going to be safe until he can stop um, the remnants of the um, the empire, basically. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you think this is? Do you think because apparently this is all supposed to be linked to the um, the sort of the new sequels that came out? So so do you think this like empire is sort of the formations of the first order and and what have you? Yeah, I think so, obviously, because obviously there are some like Imperials still left, and obviously some people to carry on that idea to lead to the, the First Order, because Episode 7 is maybe 30 years after Return of the Jedi, whereas this is maybe just, like, five. So, Something like that, isn't it? Yeah, five years. Yeah, and we do see, like, more hints of a new Republic, and we are getting that, like I said, uh, makes of the, something of the new Republic kind of TV show, amongst all the other shows that apparently were announced uh, not too long ago, so... I think that show will help tie into it more because this will be kind of the formation of what we know as the New Republic, which then gets taken over by the First Order by the time we get to get to Episode 7. So I think that show will be more way of linking the gaps. But I think there is a scene in like Season 2 kind of, there's like, they're kind of testing the idea of cloning, which I think a lot of people have linked into how Snoke came to be in that scene. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I was... I was been wondering that myself so uh yeah it's it's good in a way as well it's it's more real and grounded that even though they beat the empire they just they didn't just go away they sort mm. of um sort of re regrouped basically maybe smaller and defeated but they they regrouped and built themselves back up yeah because like the first order also still use stormtroopers all the same weapons and have all the same ideals so there have been like some remnants left to then build into the First Order because, like you said, the Empire doesn't just go away and this group that's very similar doesn't just like pop up 30 years later. Yeah, exactly. They obviously didn't round up all the all the leaders and, and what have you. But yeah. yeah. A, a very ent- not, not top tier episode but um, a very yeah. good episode nonetheless, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how do we usually rate these? Is it like out of ten? Or? Yeah, uh, it's been that long since we've we've done one. I, I forgot if we even did a rating system now. To, to be honest, I think we might have done. Yeah, I think it probably would have been out of ten. Uh, if I was going to rate this one, I'd, I'd probably probably seven and a half, something like that. Yeah, I think I'd give it a yeah seven seven and a half, something like that. If uh, I absolutely said it, it stands great on its own. And also, like, continues, like, the next little part of the, the story of the, the series, which then also takes in in the finale. I mean, if we'd have recorded this before Season 2 came out, it'd have probably got, probably got an 8 or an 8.5. When you're comparing, <laughs> it to, comparing it to some of the ones from Season 2, uh, you've got to be a little bit more critical. Yeah, I mean, looking at the Man- Mandalorian as a whole going forward, I don't, even in, when we get to, like, the Season and Season 2, I doubt, I think it, t- it takes a lot for me to go below a five. I don't think I'll get that a lot with The Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only one episode, which is on, well, two episodes. One in this season that didn't blow me away and the second episode of the second season, which left me a little bit disappointed. But they're, they're the only ones, really. Mm-hmm. 
So, Scott, are you ready to do your plugs? Uh, I am, yes. You can find me on Twitter at ScottMcLean1996. Uh, follow Scott and Paul's Ramp podcast at SB Rambling. We had an episode came out recently, our latest Fraser-centric episode. Uh, the same day you're hearing this, uh, me and Paul are getting ready to record our latest In Your House review. And all the series we've got there, we've got In Your House, Seven Good Friends, Better Enemies, with uh, Sean Miles versus Diesel's Kevin Ash's final WF match before going to WCW. Uh, ESSR, uh, at Suplex Retreat, some good stuff going on there. On their YouTube channel, the latest episode of Quiz Showdown, Quiz Showdown 9, uh, is going up. I'm, it's one of the few ones that I'm not on, but it's apparently a, a, basically a quiz looking back at a weird year that was 2020, so I'm sure that'll be a entertaining quiz. And my brother's on it, so, you know, root for him. <laughs> and you on Rogue Opinions, also the Rogue Retrospective interview. We're on the road to WrestleMania. Uh, we've got me and Nathan and Jimmy haven't really done a lot much uh, in a while, but we're all hoping to do some stuff. We are. We've got a WrestleMania fantasy booking pod plan. It's just a way of finding a date for it to be recorded. Uh, and while you have to check out Nathan's pod, uh, That Ain't Sport, the uh, comedy scripted uh, podcast, me and Jimmy have been involved in it as well. I believe the next episode he's confirmed it's going to come out 9th of April uh, will be the next episode. And that and so obviously we're getting together to record some stuff for that. And yeah, I think that's everything I've got going on. I'm just looking forward to being part of this new series with you guys. Nice one. Yeah, at least you've got a good main event for that uh, in your house because those early in your houses were very hit and miss. Oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I got dragged into doing a, a few pay-per-views with you like that Survivor Series and No Mercy and uh, they were bad enough but yeah in your houses were <laughs> make those look like masterpieces you know I'll, we're going to, we're in 2000 uh, on a Smash interview not a good year for the WS I'll try and find a better pay-per-view for you to come back on try and make up for you I mean not Wrestlemania <laughs> because Wrestlemania 2000 other than a few bright spots is not the best Wrestlemania it isn't by a long way, unfortunately. But yeah, that would be greatly appreciated. And yeah, you can uh, you can find me at uh, Carlos underscore Fire eighty on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the brand Rogue Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on all good podcasting platforms like Anchor, uh, Spotify, Apple, um, iTunes, etc. Uh, you can find some of the podcasts I've been a part of, uh, like the Rogue Chronicles, where myself and Liam talk about villains through popular culture. And, uh, as a tie-in, there's a Darth Vader one out that's been out for a couple of weeks, so go and check that out. There's one we did with Reese, our co-host on this pod, where we talked about the Joker. So make sure you check that out. And don't forget about Bantam Munich, where we discuss uh, the week's football. There won't be one for a little while because we're on internationals but uh, once the Premier League kicks off again we'll be back and uh, hopefully Reese will find that long awaited win <laughs> uh, I wouldn't hold your breath <laughs> yeah but you know hopefully he will also be back for the next episode of this series and uh, we can get back to the, the matching pyjamas because I heard that was a thing but I was told no you're a first timer you can't do that you're, you can't choose pyjamas on your first day yeah yeah I was a uh, I've got a bit of a shambles of the pyjamas this week. Uh, I do apologise for him, um, Scott. Uh, that's fine. Who, who needs to be comfy when talking about Star Wars? <laughs>
But yeah, okay, that's us uh, over and out. Thanks for listening and goodbye. This is the way. Ha, <laughs> ha,